Welcome to Coaching Carrie, the podcast where two lawyers turned life and leadership coaches rewatch Sex in the City and can't help but wonder how would Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte, and Samantha's lives have been different if they just had a coach to help them along. So for my money, the end of this episode is the real sex in the city magic. (laughs) Like Carrie saying, go to Paris. I'm not going to come. Let's not pretend we're something we're not. And then big gazing up at her from the street. And she's framed in that window with that blue slip on. I mean, she has never looked better than in that moment. And she's looked pretty damn amazing. Yep. (laughs) During this series. And then she turns around and lights that cigarette. And it is just like Sex and the City gold to me. Yes. Agreed. last scene. Oh, it's so sad, but it's so life. Just the, the banal shit that you do after something cataclysmic happens. Yes. In your life. Yes. Agreed. I mean, you light a cigarette and you lean against your desk and you stare at your apartment and the day keeps going. And then I arrive and punch you in the face because you're acting (laughs) a fool. (laughs) I mean, maybe. Oh, buckle up, listeners. Becky's got some (laughs) thoughts on this one. (laughs) So here we are. Season two, episode 12. La douleur exquise, right? And it was originally aired August 22nd, 1999. And this episode kicks off at the opening party for a new restaurant for one of Samantha's clients, which happens to be an S&M restaurant. And we are launched into the world of fetishes. So let's talk about what we see in this episode. First, we have Stanford who's back and he has an online sex life. And so this is like cyber sex in the very early years of cyber sex. And he's wondering whether to take his online romance with big tool for you from virtual to real. Ultimately, Carrie advises him to go have an adventure and he finds himself at an underwear bar making new friends. So Is that's what I'm not aware of any underwear bars, but also You're not a game probably man. not the demographic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, good for him. Charlotte has a thing for shoes and she meets Buster, the shoe salesman with a foot fetish. Foot rubs are exchanged for shoes and everyone wins or do they, right? Charlotte tries to return the shoes that he gave her for free in exchange for the foot rub. And just like that, she ends up trying on shoes for him again. Mm -hmm. So it's this whole weird shoe fetish, foot fetish thing. Miranda meets a guy, Jack, who she thinks that she might have a common interest in historical biography with. They have an awesome first date, but it turns out that Jack has a thing for public intimacy. And they do it virtually everywhere, like Mm. including some places that I have questions about, but it's really not that deep. But like the elevator at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square. Yeah, weird. (laughs) Cool. I mean, whatever you do you, but like as Charlotte asks, is it a relationship or outward bound? So Miranda decides it's important to get him to have sex both laying down and inside. (laughs) And so willingly he has sex with her at his house. She finds this very exciting until she realizes that the reason he was so willing is because his parents are there and they walk in mid, mid coupling and it's super cringy and awkward. And just stand there. (laughs) Why did they stay? I mean, I don't understand, but okay. Yeah. 
And then we have Carrie and Big. And Big is headed to Paris and Carrie's helping him pack. And while she's helping him pack, she asks about their summer plans and learns he might be moving to Paris for a while for work. She decides that she wasn't a factor in his decision-making process and she's very upset about it and wonders why she keeps doing this to herself. Is she a masochist? Obviously, later in the episode, she drunk dials him to discuss it at 5.30 a.m. Paris time And she asks him how he could not be thinking about her when making this decision because she thinks about him or rather them all the time. That call doesn't go particularly well. And Big has one of my favorite lines. Have another cocktail woman. Yeah, he's like, have another cocktail woman. And I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) Big returns from Paris and Carrie tries to welcome him back with lots of French things from McDonald's. (laughs) Questions about that too, but whatever. Big says she can move to Paris if she wants. If it's for her, he doesn't want her to uproot her life and expect anything. And all of the French things from McDonald's end up thrown against the wall at that point. Mm -hmm. He tries to tell her that this isn't about them. It's about work. And she says it's about them getting close and him running and needing to put an ocean between them. And then she asks in a very, I will give her credit here. Very genuinely, she asks the question that needs asking. And she says, or for her anyway, and she says, why is it so hard for you to factor me into your life in any real meaningful way? Mm. And he answers that probably just because old habits die hard. Mm. And she says, maybe she can't do this anymore. And he says he understands. And then she runs out of the apartment after telling him how much it hurts. Later that night, Around 2.30 in the morning, Big shows up at her apartment. She tells him to go to Paris, as you said, and suggests that they don't pretend to be something they aren't. And then we have that iconic scene in the window, and that is it for Carrie and Big again. And my head exploded. Mm. (laughs) So, okay. Say more about specifically why your head exploded. Is she kidding me? I mean, no, she's not. She's <laughs> He's not the one who's freaking out and needs to put an ocean between them. She's the one who's freaking out. Yeah. She's the so. one who's like, first sign of I might not be the top priority. Let me break up with you because we can't possibly work and I'm a masochist. Yeah. I mean, so when I watched this episode, I really tried to watch it with both of their points of view mm-hmm. in mind. And understand where each of them is coming from. And I mean, he makes a lot of money at some thing. We don't really know what this job is, but we do know it's a big job. He gets paid a lot. Um, He has a lot of luxurious things and can buy her Judith Lieber purses on a whim because he makes a lot of money. So it is often the case that jobs like that involve travel and like not optional travel. Mm Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, like, I can't wait to go to Paris to get away from you. (laughs) I mean, like, he just says it's work. Well, and this, so my first coaching question is this, and it's to Carrie. And it's, what makes you think that you weren't a factor in Big's decision-making process? Yeah, right. Because, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. (laughs) I'm clearly worked up. I'll be fine. You're very worked up, but I'm loving it. I love worked up Becky because Becky, I'm usually the worked up one of the two of us. So if Becky can be the worked up one, then that's a treat for me. I mean, he seems to be looking at it as I have a job that requires me to travel. This is one of those times. It's not optional. I also have a girlfriend who I love. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I mean, what about that? Also, 
I acknowledge he is, has made very clear that she is not more important to him than his, not just job, career. Yes. Does that mean he doesn't love her? No. Does that mean they can't have a relationship? No. Does that mean that she's somehow less than? No. It just means that his career is important to him. And he says very explicitly, I need to be in a relationship where if I need to move to Paris for my job, I can move to Paris for my job. Right. When I was thinking about it, the only thing I could come up with was that illustrated her position that he didn't consider her in his decision-making process. The only thing I could come up with was he didn't tell her sooner sure. mm-hmm. and get her take on it. Mm-hmm. So at first, that's what she seems to be angry about. Like, when were you going to tell me about this? So maybe he could have brought her into the possibility sooner, but it also seems like on some level he was kind of not bringing it up until it was a really a thing. I mean, that's the impression I got. And he flat out says it. <laughs> he flat out says it when they're packing, I think. And he's like, don't get carried away, which was funny. Yes. And because, I mean, I think he has this notion that like, as soon as I bring this up, she's going to do it like a spinny thing. And so mm-hmm. I may as well not like set the spin in motion until I think it's a real issue. And I'm about to go and find out whether it's going to be a real issue. And then we'll talk about it. But I think like she goes so quickly from he might be in Paris to I have to like move to Paris to versus just you don't even know he has not even said I'm going to Paris. I mean, I think he does and is, but he hasn't even said that. And already you're worried about the plans for the next year. What if you just took it a step at a time? Yeah. It's just like this lack of security in what they have. Yes. And so this is what I'm saying. She accuses him of needing to put an ocean between them. And really it's her. It's like, I can't live in this unsettled place. And that in that way, she like doesn't want to do that to herself. She doesn't want to put up with that anymore. And so I've got to cut it off. Yes. Right. And this also seems to be another instance where they're kind of talking past each other that he he seems to believe implicitly that like, I can go to Paris for seven months if I need to, we will work it out, we will be like, it's not that he doesn't factor you in. It's almost like he thinks of you as a given. Yes. And I took that like, there are two ways to see that, right? And one way is like, I'm so secure, because we've now said I love you. We've been together so long, that we will figure we will figure this out. Yeah. And she sees it as you didn't even bring me in on the decision. But I don't think yet she has earned the right to weigh in on his career choices. Yeah. I mean, so like, what does that conversation look like? Hey, Carrie, I have to go to Paris for a few months and it might turn into a short term move. And then she says, I don't agree with that. And he like quits or like, what? I don't Refuses even know what to go or gives up the project. Right. Like there's not a lot of different ways for that to go. So I uh, So now you see why I'm worked up. I know you're worked up. I mean flay of fish smashed against his wall. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part of it hits the television. Yes, like yeah, salt. the like box television that he's got mounted in the yeah. corner, which would like be I mean, that was like so luxurious in 1999 that you'd have some sort of like television mounted in your kitchen. Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Only Mr. Big. Only Mr. Big. (laughs) So the question, you know how Carrie has a question in her column every, I mean, I guess I'm really stuck on the Big and Carrie thing here, but, but her question this week that I didn't say in the recap was, how do you distinguish between growing pains and pain pains? And I actually think that's an interesting coaching question. Yeah. 
Like, where is the line between the discomfort of growth and discomfort that is unacceptable to you? Yeah. And this is something that everyone would have to answer for themselves. There's no way to have an answer that works for everybody. No, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we've already talked about is an interesting lens to view this question through because, you know, Big just thinks about this trip and then possible move as a fact of life. It has no like hurt factor. It's not intended to hurt anyone. It's not meant to, you know, imply anything that's hurtful. It just is. And Carrie views it very much as like, this is him imposing a painful, you know, fact of life or something on me, Mm -hmm. right? He's doing this to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And anytime she feels hurt, she classifies it as pain, pain. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've seen her classify anything as true growing pains. I mean, she tries to in this episode, right? Where she's like walking with the girls and she's like, you know, I, I way overreacted when I called him in the middle of the night and you know, what's not romantic about spending your, you know, a week every month in Paris with your boyfriend. And she's like, and yeah, it's hard, but it's worth like worth the discomfort, worth the hard, you know? So that's like Mm -hmm. the closest she comes. I think also, sorry, this is a little bit off, but I'm thinking about him and this trip. Like, I think it also like coming from a world where I worked in litigation firms for a decade and a half, right? Like people go to trial for months at a time. Yeah. There's no universe in which you're like, the notion of someone coming to visit you for a a week during trial every month is like laughable. There is no time. Like it is literally like wake up, work, sleep. That's it. There's no like downtime. There's no sightseeing. There's no eating awesome dinners. Like for our trial teams, we were catering in like all the food you you were like head down in trial. Yeah. And so also like not knowing enough about what it is that he does for work. Is this seven months in Paris, like really intense work like that, where he wouldn't even have time and space to be considering dating anyone? Yeah. Well, and it's almost the sense that Carrie feels that if she's not almost like physically on top of him, pinning him down, like you are mine, that suddenly their relationship doesn't exist. It's like she views the physical proximity as the measure for how close is our relationship. And if she loses that physical proximity, then the relationship is clearly obliterated. And I mean, here's the bottom line, I think, and I think we've touched on this. She's got more space in her life from a starting point for him than he does for her. Yeah. Right. That inequality existed from day one. Mm -hmm. And it's not a statement about how much one cares about the other. It's like actually just how they came to the relationship. Right. Yeah. Like I sort of feel like Big has a lot going on. And if Carrie left for Paris for seven months, he would miss her and he'd probably go visit her, but he wouldn't be, he wouldn't have the space to really pine. Yeah. And so it's different. She's got the space. She'll feel the lack more. And so maybe mm. she's like trying to be more sensitive to Carrie here. Maybe she's like facing that reality too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's absolutely a factor of who misses who more in that scenario, I think, because she's reacting the way she is because she's like, there will be a hole left. Yes. If you go to Paris and he's kind of like, I'll be okay. I mean, for I him, I feel him. like, you know, like that slime that kids play with. I feel like <laughs> you put your finger in it and like there's space for your finger. But when you take your finger out, the slime just fills the space again. Like, I feel like his <laughs> life is more like slime. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Like yes. there's enough going on. He has a fullness there that 
it just sinks back in. And so, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, she's not, I mean, she's wrong in the idea that like he didn't factor her into his decision-making process, but like the potential pain of having someone who you don't feel your relationship is a hundred percent locked down leave for seven months. I do get that. I mean, I do get it. And I also get how the way that he phrased, like, I don't want you to come, you know, uproot your life and then expect something. Oh yeah. That I mean, I get why that is a trigger. And I, I mean, I guess I sort of wonder what he meant there. Although I can imagine like, again, this notion of like, I'm going there for work. I'm going to be occupied. Like this isn't about let's go have fun, like Carrie and big live in Paris. And we have all yeah. this time to each other. Right. Like, I don't want you to uproot. And then I'm totally occupado. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she says a number of times, why do I keep doing this to myself? Yeah. And I want to know what it is that you think you're doing to yourself here. Yeah. Um, at the end, she talks about him being so unattainable. And I rewatched the last scene like three times this morning, trying to actually figure out that question, not knowing that you were going to ask it today. Like, what is it that she thinks that she is saving herself from? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think he's unattainable. I think mm-hmm. she's attained him. Mm-hmm. And maybe this just goes back to the fact that they speak different languages in this respect. Yep. That she thinks that a man who loves her on her terms would say, absolutely not. I'm not going to Paris. Which I, like, I don't know how exactly how old he's supposed to be in this show. Um, I think at this point he's like 43 or 44. Okay, but so he's got like a a pretty significant investment in his career and the notion that he will just jettison it to like be more available to her. Yeah. is crazy to me. Well, and let's see. At this point, she's like 34. Yeah, sure. Trying to think. I mean, like that wasn't that long ago for me. I don't know. I'm trying to think about whether the age difference is a factor here. And and I mean, I think it, it has to be, right? That, sure. That he's just kind of more established. He's also more comfortable in himself and like well, who and he, he is and what he wants. Clearly doesn't need a relationship to feel complete. Yeah, right. Not to say that he doesn't want to be in a relationship with her. I think he does or that he doesn't love her. I think he yeah. does. But he doesn't need that to feel complete in the same way that I perceive she still needs that to feel complete. Yeah, Oh, it's just so bad. And she, I mean, like this line drawing, right. That you kind of referred to, you know, in the episode where, you know, Steve shows up and breaks up with Miranda kind of, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like there's not even any additional discussion about it. It's just like, okay, you're going to Paris. I'm not going to come. We're done. I don't know. It's just, it's such a bright line to draw when things seem really murky. And I think too, like there's a little sadness for big for me too, because it feels like he actually took some steps to put himself emotionally on the line and to open himself up. And I almost get the vibe from him of like, okay, like you're going to reject me. Like, like he said, I always get into trouble when I tell people that I love them. He is like, it's a problem again. Yeah. They clearly still love each other when he looks up at her from the street and she's gazing out the window, like. Those are two people who love each other, but they're just kind of, I don't know, they're just drawing this line in the sand again, like, or she is. She is because he's clearly not, I mean, 
He's like, come on, let's just work this through. And she's like, she's tied to the chair in her head because she doesn't want to keep doing it to herself. Oh, I wish people could see your face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, oh, I feel like we're just like kind of saying the same things over and over again, but I mean, I mean, that's because all my questions are the same questions because I'm so like (laughs) confused by everything that they're saying. I mean, I have like a couple of things I wrote down, like, you know, she says like, let's not pretend we're something wrong. Who's pretending what, like, what are you even talking about right now? What's the thing that you're pretending to be that you're not actually that's what I mean. Like, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Yeah. I don't even know what she's talking about. I legitimately see. So she's decided that he's unattainable because he doesn't do things the way she prefers them to be done. Right. So that just means that he's not there. Yeah. I mean, it truly like going back to the very like genesis of it. It's like this notion of, again, she literally decided without actually asking him whether she was a factor or not. Mm hmm. And also before even any decision has been made. Yeah. Right. Because at that point, he's just going on the whatever 10-day trip and then he'll to, be back. and Yeah. And he's going to find out whether he needs to go to Paris and what. Right. And then he will presumably have to decide whether he is going to go. And I think the implication is he is going to, but like also not decided. Right. 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 Mm, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I would kind of love it if my husband went on a trip <laughs> for seven months. <laughs> Because let's be honest, the sex when you get home is going to be awesome. I mean, there's so much upside here. Like there's nothing but upside. And the part we haven't even said, I mean, like, again, we don't know enough about what big does or like, is this a really big deal that he's nervous about even whether he's going to win? Like what other pressures could be at play where he doesn't want to like bring the pressure of the relationship into the picture until he's resolved the like professional pressure piece? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. I feel like that's being very I'm kind extra to him. Generous, but yeah. Yes, but I mean, very but, kind to him. <laughs> but again, not knowing, like, just there's a big question mark because we don't actually know what he. Yeah, for sure. And Carrie's just generally off balance in this relationship. And maybe it's, you know, an, an echo of the imbalance with Miranda and Steve that we could, they kind of talk about obliquely in that episode that. You know, big is rich and she is not, and he's an executive and she's an artist. And, you know, so she's constantly off balance. And so maybe that's, you know, the major factor that's making her feel like if he chooses his job, then he's choosing his class and not me. Not me. And therefore, like all the implication of I'm not good enough that goes yeah. into that. Yeah. I've been harsh on Carrie. I don't mean to be like, I get where she's coming from. I do understand why she's upset. I do. Like I said, I do understand why when he says like, I don't want you to drop everything and expect something like, right. It has this very like ring of before of yes. What do you, like, I thought we were in, what do you mean? Expect something. And I don't actually think he means it entirely that way, but I understand what hits her wrong. I understand why he feels a little bit out of reach sometimes because he does, he has his own life. He is like that slime. Like you take Carrie out of it and he's going to be fine. Yeah. Whereas she is like Swiss cheese. Like the hole is still going to be there. So yeah. Yeah. Swiss cheese. Mm. Swiss cheese and slime. <laughs> How did we end up there? Anyway, yeah. to recap my very non-specific coaching questions, this episode, there's three. What makes you think you weren't a factor in Big's decision-making process? How do you distinguish between growing pains and pain pains? 
And the last one, I can't remember exactly the way I phrased it, but it had to do with like, is it that you believe you're doing to yourself again? Or what are you trying to avoid doing to yourself again? Or what is it that you think you're pretending to be that you aren't? That whole notion, what is actually going on there? Yeah. Yeah. So I have two things to close. Okay. Number one, is the shoe store that Charlotte visits with the foot fetishist, Salvatore Ferragamo? (laughs) I don't think so. There are definitely Ferragamo boxes in there. Are they Ferragamo boxes? On the cash register, when she comes back to return the shoes, there are Ferragamo boxes sitting there. But I was like, is this just a store that sells Ferragamos? I don't know. To me, it struck me not as a brand name store, but as one of those many New York shoe stores that has a whole bunch of different shoes. Ah, okay. That actually makes me feel better because I was like, how did a foot fetishist get a job at Ferragamo? But number two, regarding the parents walking in on Miranda, as you know, Becky, my husband and I have a condo in Chicago, and we live across the street from my parents and about a block away from Evan's mother. Okay. I'm a little Um, afraid of where this is going. Keep going. Yeah. We had some real boundary problems with Mm. Evan's mother for a period of time after I moved in. And um, she would just show up at the house whenever she felt like it. Just swing by. Yeah, just swing by and do things like decide that I had too many cookie sheets. And so she would take some of them for her own use or, you know, just crazy shit like that. So on one occasion, she showed up and Evan and I had decided to take a half day and had stayed in bed all morning. And we heard her key come into the door and I hopped right out of bed and Evan was like, oh, what are you doing? And I like barely put on my robe. And I went to the door and I finished unlatching it and I opened it and I was like, good morning, Alice. What are you doing here? And so used our very healthy sex life to exercise my mother-in-law. To like encourage her not to do the unannounced Yes, she never returned for an unannounced visit. That's amazing. Well, I think, yeah, that's amazing. I was going to say, I think most people, most people with kids have some sort of story where they've gotten interrupted. That has never happened to us. I think that we are past the point of that being an issue based on the age of our kids. Like yeah. they've figured out when the doors close, they just don't even. Yeah. Leave mom but, and dad alone. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's awesome. And, and well played on your part too. So thanks Miranda for the inspiration. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks everyone for being here and we'll uh, see you again next week. If you're loving the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at coaching.carry.podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, it's Carrie. I would love to connect with you out in the world at kerrywalshcoaching.com. There you'll find more information about me, coaching, blog posts, and an opportunity to sign up for my newsletter. Or if you or your company is looking for executive coaching, you can check out theatalantagroup.com for more information. That's the A-T-A-L-A-N-T-A group.com. Hey, that's Becky. To connect with me, the easiest way is to head over to my website at untanglehappiness.com. There you can learn more about the services I offer, as well as get additional information about my book, The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to Living What Matters.
I look forward to connecting with you.